Hi friends, welcome to the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Podcast with me, your host, Hannah. On the show, I'm joined each episode by an amazing guest to have an honest conversation, share our real life experiences and tackle stigma and misconceptions around mental health along the way. We believe that everyone would benefit from focusing a little more on their mental well-being, and we're here to support you to do just that. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi friends and welcome back. How are you doing today, this fine Wednesday? Um, I was about to talk about the weather, but it could be fine even if the weather is rainy and wet. Uh, oh, so, <laughs> so British weather. Anyway, um, Wellbeing Wednesdays and we are diving into emotional well-being today. And this was such a fun conversation that um, we're sharing today to kind of kick off our next round of um, of interviews so firstly thanks to all of the guests that we featured in our roundup on monday i really hope that you enjoyed that and that you took a lot from it uh, in today's episode whew, there's a lot of um emotional well-being congruence authenticity envy um, i share a little bit um vulnerability i may have already said that but <laughs> it's something that comes up and lots and lots of great content. Uh, so I'm joined by the wonderful Rosie Withy. Um, so I'm not going to say anything else more now. So we can dive straight into the conversation. And I'll be back super quickly at the end. Hi, everyone. And I'm really happy to welcome this week's guest to the show. So Rosie, welcome. And if you could introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Hi Hannah, thank you very much for inviting me um, here today. Um, I am a, an emotional well-being coach and the coaching that I offer has actually been inspired by a lifetime of being with horses. So some of my coaching is with horses through one-to-one sessions and I run some workshops. Um, but I've also developed an online program which I developed a couple of years ago and more recently um, because of lockdown, I've created a group online coaching program because I was really missing the group workshops that I usually run with horses. Mm. Amazing. It sounds like you do some fantastically interesting stuff. Um, we'll dive into that. And I guess the first thing I'd like to ask you, because we like to sort of be on the same page with terms when we're talking about stuff. So when you talk about emotional well-being, I'd love to know what you mean by that term. Well, I think it's one of the things I think is really important is that we can't differentiate. It's so difficult. There's it, a tendency to differentiate between mental well-being, emotional and spiritual. And one of the things that I'm really passionate about in the work that I um, share and do with the horses it is, and I've got this from working with horses, is that they can't be separated. Mm-hmm. The reason that I'm focusing on emotional well-being is that through my own personal journey, it's the emotional aspect of well-being that I was unbalanced in that area. And so I'd spent many years suppressing my emotions and not really allowing myself to show vulnerability is the key one that I talk about, but also to a certain extent, fear and anger and sadness and so for me, that's, that's what I mean by emotional well-being. I think it's 
whole well-being but it's the area that I'm choosing to to focus on the most although the work that I do naturally integrates mental physical emotional and spiritual yeah yeah I think you know we split these things out don't we and you know we talk about mental well-being on the show but mental physical emotional spiritual they're all so linked absolutely Um, but like you say, it's what we focus on. And that, that idea of suppressing emotions, is that something that's really common with the people that you work with? Well, I think it's common in society, Hannah, you know, um, and I don't think we even realise we're doing it. I certainly didn't. I grew up in a very healthy environment on a farm um, and worked for my dad's business um, initially for 13 years. He had um, an animal, commu- uh, animal compound feed manufacturing mill. Um, I'd always had an interest in horses through my mum and I woke up one morning decided I wanted to teach riding so retrained as a riding coach and then built a riding centre and had fantastic support around um, that but it was through my training in equine facilitated learning which I then went on to do that I became aware of times in my life when actually I hadn't been really honouring how I was feeling so For example, with times of grief, I wouldn't allow myself to cry or maybe take myself away, but I wouldn't show it so openly. Anger is something I suppress. And I now know through the training that I offer that anger, the message of anger is that somebody's overstepped a boundary. Now, I'm a real people pleaser. I grew up to learn to please others. So I didn't want to set a boundary because I didn't want to upset somebody. But what would often happen is that it would escalate into rage, maybe at the person who I hadn't set a boundary with, or I wouldn't want to set it with them, so I'd deflect my rage onto somebody else, or I was an absolute master of sarcasm. So because I couldn't set a boundary in a, in a pleasant way, I would you know, get it in, in another way. So when I did this training, I realised that anger is simply a message to set a boundary and when I did set a boundary my whole body relaxed and went back to grazing which is a term we use in the work because it refers to the horses Mm -hmm. then it started me thinking on all of those other times Um, but as I then started observing other people of course I noticed it um, widely throughout society I'm so glad you shared that that story about anger and boundaries because I was definitely thinking about times when I've suddenly just got annoyed with someone and thinking actually there was a boundary or there was something that I could have said about how I wanted something to be but because I'm a people pleaser I've kind of not and I got really angry about it and actually I had something recently really really trivial with my partner and I was just getting really annoyed with him and I just said can you not do that thing and do this instead he was like yeah sure and then I was like, oh, <laughs> that was easy. How easy was that? And, yeah. and now he does it uh, that way. And so it's not a thing, but because I was like, I didn't want to say it because even though it's small. And so then I was just getting annoyed and it's so easy. But yeah, when you're a people pleaser. Yeah. So I really appreciate you sharing that story selfishly because that <laughs> really mm. makes sense. Really makes sense to me. Well, in the, in the training that I've done, the lady that I trained with, Linda Kohanov in Arizona, she created um, a chart and 
she took the initial um, information from a lady called Carla McLaren, who initially created an audiobook, Becoming an Empath, and she then went on to write The Language of Emotions. And essentially what Carla and then Linda created this chart to say that each of these emotions have a message, what the message is, and what questions you need to ask yourself in order to move fluidly through the emotion and then what emotions they escalate into if you don't follow through. And what Linda then did is created a metaphor with horses as the metaphor. So horses are the metaphor because unless they've been traumatized, horses naturally follow this process. So for example, if they fat, if there's something frightening them in their environment, they would feel the fear. So step one is to feel the fear. So their bodies, they might tense their neck, their heart rate might go up, and they would experience that as a physical sensation in their body. The second step is to get the message. So the message would be, there's a threat to their safety, it, and it's an external threat to their safety. Step three is the question is, what do I need to do to move myself to safety? So horses wouldn't be going, oh, I shouldn't be frightened of this thing. They would be just galloping to the other end of the field or moving away from the object. Now, when they do that, step four is go back to grazing. Now, what happens when we follow fluidly through those four steps? We naturally go back to homeostasis. What happens when we don't acknowledge it, our body intensifies that. So with fear, it would go to anxiety and then to panic and finally to dissociation because we're if we're in a heightened state of fear and our body can't tolerate that feeling any longer, it just, it just simply disconnects. Mm-hmm. So even if you um, have been suppressing emotions for years, which I had by the time I got to this work, I could actually just go to the intensifications column and go, oh, okay, I'm panicking. So that's, oh, that's, that's fear. I mean, it could be a couple of the other emotions panic, in fact, but if it was um, a threat to my safety, then I would say, okay, what do I need to do to move to safety? Mm. Um, and of course, what's really evident is often we, there are a number of emotions that are working it together, mm. you know, so with your example of anger, if you had done that on several occasions and it hadn't worked, it could be frustration. So anger and frustration feel similar. Anger is about a boundary. Frustration is when you've got a block and you try something differently and it doesn't work. Mm. Um, And then you need to ask for help or assistance. And then when you get the help and assistance and you remove the block, again, your body goes back to that homeostasis level again. Yeah, that's great. It sounds like such a, a useful resource and, and way of seeing it. And I have a question around the the fear, for example. So you have the fear, and then you could run to the other side of the field, for example, and then, and then it's and then it's gone. If you just kind of recognise, oh, okay, I'm panicking. It's because there's fear here. Is that recognising and acknowledging the fear? Is that enough of a step to be able to kind of name it and go? okay it's fine or does that always have to be like a step to do something which is like the metaphorical running to the end of the field Mm. that's a really good question um that's a really good question hannah and um in this emotional message chart linda 
makes a distinction, a clear distinction between fear and vulnerability. Mm. And that has that was what was life changing for me, because fear is an intuitive awareness that you are not safe Mm. and you need to get the hell out of there in order to feel safe. I put myself in lots of fearful situations in the past and went into terror and dissociate. So for example, um, one of the examples I've shared recently is I grew up with my mum as a horsewoman and she would often have young horses into to school. And I would, as a teenager, maybe be the first one to be put on the pony. And sometimes I was fearful because I'd seen the pony and thought, okay, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm safe or not. And yet this on this particular occasion, I was legged up onto the pony and the pony bucked me straight off and I landed on the concrete. Now, it didn't hurt myself, but I had intuitively known that I wasn't I wasn't safe. Now, conversely, if I um, look to the outside and see that I'm feeling fearful, but I'm not in a position of safety, that can be an internal threat, which could be oh, last time I did this thing, I got hurt. And then I would check in again and go, oh, actually, this time, I'm not in a fearful situation. So in that situation, I would maybe, making myself aware of it would be enough because I could then see what what was truly present in the moment. So the first, when you feel fear, the first question to ask yourself is, am I safe? So if I've got a herd of horses galloping at me, Maybe I need to move the other side of the gate, otherwise I'm likely to get trodden on. Mm. Or do I feel nervous? Like I felt fearful coming onto this podcast, even though I've done some to before, which is what I said to you. But I knew that was a vulnerability and that was a belief that was coming up, which was, oh, I've done one before, so I should be okay this time. Mm. So it's a really, really great question. And it's one which I would really like to, you know, like people to really think about because I, I do get, because it's been my life's journey, I do get really frustrated when I hear people say, oh, you just need to sit in your fear and then it'll be fine. Mm. And that's why I make the distinction. If it's, if it's threatening your safety, you need to move to safety If you stand there and say, no, it's not my safety, but actually there is a belief here that I need to um, address. Um, I had a a little child come for some riding lessons once and she said she was really frightened. But after a while, I realized that she was actually a really good little rider and quite confident. What I finally found out was that her auntie was saying to her you better not fall off it's a really dangerous thing so it was actually vulnerability it was not her own fear of falling off at all Mm. it was a fear that she was going to fulfill this prophecy that her auntie had Mm. and then maybe she couldn't come riding anymore yeah And I guess that's uh, another reason why it's important to explore that vulnerability, because actually it could be not so much coming from us, but an external thing that we've heard, a belief from someone else or an expectation from someone else that we've just kind of picked up on the way and gone, oh, well, this is dangerous for me. And actually, when we look at it, maybe it's not. Maybe actually, like you said, she's a great little rider. She's actually confident she was completely fine until someone said something. Um, 
definitely absolutely definitely i mean it could be our own you know it's a belief but it might be a belief that we are holding through our, our own past experience or something that somebody's said to us absolutely definitely i'd love to talk about um horses a little more and how when you're working with someone with horses just kind of how it works because i do not work with horses at all <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of a new thing um so yeah if you could tell us a bit about that well there there are really so many different aspects to the horses but i'll just tell you to start with just um step by step mm-hmm. so one of the first things that i do is i teach people to do a body scan and a body scan helps them to know what they're feeling in their own body and if they for example if they said they were feeling fear then I would ask them what they needed to do to keep themselves safe and they might say can I stay here a bit longer can you come in the field with me so they would get some information from their body then what I do is I ask them to look at the different horses and then check back in with their body and see what they feel in their body in relation to different horses. Mm. Now, what that brings up, because at this stage, the clients don't know anything about the horses whatsoever. So what this is really useful to do is for the client to become aware of the projections that they might put onto the horses. So one of the common things might be, well, that one's a big one. So maybe he's going to be uh, more overpowering than a small one. Or if a horse person comes, they might say, oh, this reminds me of a horse I had before. So they might treat that horse as if they had seen it before instead of being present in the moment. Mm. So that would be the first thing um, that I would ask my clients to do. Then before they actually have um, an interaction with the horse, I take everybody through a process where they learn how to set a boundary with the horse so that means taking a stick with them and if the horse comes towards them they just draw a line in the on the ground Um, not to say this is where to stop but just to give an indication to the horse that they want it to stop coming towards them the other half of the experience is that when they walk towards the horse I teach them what signals to notice in the horse that is the horse's boundary So the horse might put its ears back, it might turn its shoulder the other way. And so the first experience is you going in with the horse and you learning to respect the horse's boundaries and you setting a boundary with the horse. Now, what commonly happens is despite all of this understanding and clear information, when you actually go in with the horse, you do what you would commonly do in your in your conditioned self which might be if you're a people pleaser not to set a boundary because you don't want to upset the horse because that's what you've said earlier on so it could be that although the horse is coming towards you you don't set the boundary and then the horse comes right up to you and I've had so many people say oh wow that's what I do and then people walk all over me I now realise. Now, what you can do with a horse is then to move away. And if the horse walks towards you again, you can have another go. And you're not going to upset the horse. So it's not like you're trying this with a human who you might upset. The horse will accept your new boundary. Equally, you might walk towards the horse and the horse just walks off. 
And a common reaction to that is, oh, he doesn't like me, or he doesn't want to talk to me today, or why is he doing that? He should come and speak to me, you know? And so again, in that moment, through the coaching questions, the client becomes aware of their thought patterns, of their normal conditioning, and can actually have what we call corrective emotional experiences. Because what happens with the whole, with those interactions is something happens on a visceral level. This is the other reason I call it, you know, I ha- uh, love working with the emotional well-being hammer because it's indescribable. We're talking about it now in a, in a mental sort of psychological way. But what happens in the experience with the horses is something happens on a visceral level mm-hmm. and that you take away and you have it in your body and you know that you're going to set a boundary in the future not because you decide in your head you're going to do it it's just that you feel when somebody's coming towards you your body goes oh that means I need to set a boundary and it does because it doesn't feel good yeah awesome thank you for sharing that and I know one of the things that you talk about is congruency so I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about about that yeah for me um congruency is is when you are feeling the same inside as to what you're acting outside. So if you're feeling happy and you're acting happy, Mm. if you're feeling sad and you're allowing yourself to to be sad. And again, um, it's not something that we're necessarily consciously aware of. And that's what I became aware of in this training. I had spent my whole life acting as if Mm. I was you know whatever I was confident when I was actually vulnerable or I was um, calm and centered when I was actually really quite sad and frustrated so the horses have a part to play in in this because they can actually sense when we're not congruent so what happens if we try and suppress our emotions is that our heart rate goes up and our muscles dance So they can sense what's going on underneath. And when we become aware of our incongruence, so we might then change our behavior. So we might go in, say I go in and I say like, I'm feeling really confident, but as I step towards the horse, I go, oh, actually I'm not that confident now. Um, As I honor that truth, my body will calm down. And then the horse then feels that difference and they more likely to connect with somebody um when they are congruent it's not an exact science hannah um a lot of people you know who come to the my workshops have heard about the work that i do maybe read some books and they've heard that if they're congruent the horse will come to them you know it's true that they will be more likely to connect with them but it's not an exact you know it's not an exact science i guess it's it's still a being isn't it and they might just be having one of those days where they're like yeah But I think one of the most important things is just to just to notice, you know, just to notice, am I really so when you when we started this call, and you asked me the reason I said to you, I'm feeling vulnerable, and I've got um, uh, butterflies in my tummy is I now know that if I voice that it dissipated within seconds, it was gone. Mm. If I try and pretend I'm fine, I know that that's going to escalate. And then I'm likely to you know forget what I'm going to say or yeah. um and that's a common misperception and I think 
the person that I um, refer to such a lot with vulnerability is Brené Brown Mm. Um, because she's already out there and has so much material on the importance of honoring vulnerability and that it's it's courage because there's this you know there's this huge belief that if we honor our vulnerability that means we're weak Mm. Um, and actually the flip side of vulnerability is that when we move through vulnerability we expand our comfort zone so if we don't honor vulnerability which I didn't for years because my story was I should know what I'm doing I should be able to manage on my own therefore I didn't ask for help therefore I often didn't expand my comfort zone Mm. so I mean I can imagine two years ago there's no way I would have been doing a podcast I would have been so terrified to find out what it actually involved Mm. um so yeah it's really important to to actually be congruent is to act on the outside the same as you're feeling on the inside yeah yeah and I I think um I love that um well the idea of congruency but also the think about the flip side of vulnerability and I was thinking um as you were saying about the podcast I was thinking when I first started and we recently recorded our 100th episode and I listened back to the first episode and I was like that's a bit uncomfortable listening because it was not as comfortable as this is now and I was quite nervous starting and putting it out there and talking about it and now sitting in this space with you I'm completely comfortable you know I quite I get quite warm if I'm like talking to someone like an interview or something like that if I'm on someone's show I I still get that but on my show I'm pretty chilled um because I've expanded that comfort zone I've done the vulnerable bit and now I've done it so often that I'm in that I totally agree with you, Hannah, but I have to say, I have listened back to some of your earlier podcasts and I felt totally connected to you because of your authenticity, because of your congruence, because of the fact that you shared how you were feeling. And so I think that's another important thing to share. We actually feel more connected to people when they are honest so there's another emotion that I'm just going to share at this point, and it's 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 a, an incongruence alarm. It's when we when we sense that somebody else isn't who they say they are, mm. our body feels agitated, even angry. Mm. So if you feel angry, the first question to ask is is it a boundary. The second question to ask, is it frustration? Is there something, a block that I need to do differently? And if it's neither of those, am I in the presence of somebody who isn't who they say they are? Now, they might be doing that completely unconsciously. So it's, they're not trying to, you know, to fool you. So the question to ask is, what is the emotion behind the mask? And is it directed towards me? Now, right now in this pandemic, I can't tell you how many people are masking their sadness and grief and they don't want to talk about it. So if I say, how are you? And they go, yeah, it's fine. I'm having a good day. And I sense there's some sadness and grief and it's not directed at me. My body completely calms down again. And in actual fact, now that I'm able to do that, because years ago I would have been saying, are you sure? Because you don't look very happy, Mm. which would have made them curl up even more. 
once my body relaxes now that opens up that space to connect with that person mm. so that they feel more comfortable as well so it has um a double effect because not only does the person themselves feel calm they actually exude that confidence and that calmness out to the person they're talking to yeah that's so interesting yeah yeah I think that definitely we well a lot of the time and like you said especially at the moment do the how are you I'm fine I'm fine even if if we're not um and especially at the moment I think that some people have lost so much in terms of loved ones possibly and work and 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 all of that that for for some people if they haven't if they're working from home and they they haven't personally been affected there's that sense of well I can't feel the sadness or the grief because I haven't really lost anything on that scale and that comparison and so then we like we kind of push it down like well I shouldn't be feeling the the shoulds again (laughs) I shouldn't be feeling that way and and actually as you said, there is so much grief and loss around. And um, yeah, it's a difficult time, I guess. Mm. Understatement of the century. But, well, and it's so, I think the challenge is it's impacted everybody. It has impacted everybody, but everybody so differently. Mm. So some, some people are having an amazing time. Some people are just having a good time. Some people are having an absolutely dreadful time. Mm. So if you're prone to comparison, it's really uncomfortable because, you know, everybody is is experiencing this differently. But I also think that that has enabled people to learn to be more compassionate, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be able to empathise and, and be more compassionate with others because we really do not know what's going on for the person that we're speaking to. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that. And also, I think that that connection, that community spirit and that caring, that was one of the positives to kind of come out of, um, I think, still a little bit, particularly that first lockdown, those kind of early stages, you had that real show of being in it together and empathizing and supporting, which I think was was really nice to, to see, um, mm. which hopefully will kind of continue you mm. know, be, beyond this. <sighs> I feel really calm now. I will say thank you yeah, thank you for your feedback on the early shows and I was thinking you know that with the show I try to be authentic and I try to I don't want to be really down if I'm having a difficult time but I also don't want to be that like hey everything's great if it's not and so I have sometimes I've had a couple of weeks where I'm recording intros and I think oh I'm so like feel quite ugh because that's how I was feeling in myself. And actually, I think if I tried to put on a forced <laughs> positive positivity, people would have felt that, I think, or, or heard that. And so absolutely, absolutely, definitely, mm-hmm. Hannah. I mean, and it's not only horses that pick that up. We all pick it up. But we're coming back to what you said earlier on about suppressing emotions we're so conditioned to doing that we many of us are walking around incongruent the whole time Mm. so you know I can remember when I separated from my husband and I would be driving down to school with my two-year-old and Vanessa and to school and I probably was just feeling completely stressed but I'd meet her friends parents at the gate and smile sweetly 
you know, because that's what I was conditioned to do. Um, and yet I now know that that person would probably have been able to feel that I wasn't okay. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's really important to acknowledge that because if we are incongruent, we are going to be impacting the people around us. So not only is it going to help us if we honor how we're truly feeling, it's going to make a difference to our environment. Um, yeah. And in fact, that's one of the things I've got a group program that I'm an online program that I'm teaching at the moment. And we're talking about managing um, contagious emotions and essentially, if we are feeling down, you know, we can, it can emanate out so, you know, we can impact other people in the room. And so they might not be feeling good either. Mm. However, our first step is to notice how we're feeling. And when we can take responsibility for our own feelings and become calm, equally, that calm feeling emanates out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I saw that so often with my horses over the years. So I would have a a really calm pony and I might have a child who was a bit nervous and I would put the child on that particular pony and after some time the calm energy of the pony would entrain the child so that they felt calm equally if you can have a, a really excited fearful horse and you're in connection with that you might then pick up on that fearful energy so Part of the work that I do is helping people to become aware of their feelings and their emotions so that they can become more congruent and be more calm so that they can um, support the people that who are in their environment. And I do a lot of work with therapists, a lot of work with coaches, managers, parents. So most of the people I'm working with are absolutely interested in their own personal development and they know that when they work on themselves it is going to make a difference to their clients to their family you know to their team whoever it is that they're working with yeah that's so interesting I was thinking about when I was teaching and I'd work with a lot of young people who would become very angry or agitated or frustrated and because I always had a really calm consistent or just myself really but like just like this always whatever was happening and then they would pick up on that but I do remember just a few times where I'd be in a bad mood for some reason or tired or feeling out of the weather and I would say outright I'm not feeling great today so just so you know so they're not picking up oh maybe she's angry at us and just naming it so that it feels like a better environment and I'm not sure whether maybe it did calm me to name it but at least they had that awareness of what it was that they weren't picking up on it unconsciously well two things um hannah there i mean it sounds as though you intuitively knew to do that but i would say two things one you named it so it would have made a difference so you would then have started calming down but oh my god it you know wouldn't be wonderful if the world were full of teachers like yourself you know, because when you teach children that it's okay for them to have a bad day, it's okay for them to be angry, it's okay for them to be sad, it's okay for them to be whatever the things that you shared with your kids. To me, that is so, so important. It's really important. I was talking with a client this week and um, sharing with her children was actually one of her gifts 
and sharing that it's okay to be angry and then to ask them the relevant question okay did your sister take something that you'd been keeping safe so you could say well okay so you need to tell her that it's not okay to take that so showing him not talking about anger but just asking the questions around what boundary that might have been overstepped mm. or if it was frustration okay so what's the block what have you tried and what else could we do differently so that you actually allow them to honor their um, feeling and then just give them the questions that help them then move through those in future. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I just love helping people who work with children because I think it's so important for our children to know that it's, it's okay to feel how you feel. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of um, what I did, I feel, <laughs> as a teacher that... Um, and I think modeling is is so important for, for being able to name stuff. And I had a classic one where I just was, I don't know why, really upset. I was like crying. I had to go out on the punch bag, which is what students did. I put my music on in my headphones and I just needed that. And some of my students saw me crying. It was fine because like, I just need to process this and then I'll go back in the classroom. One of my students made me a cup of coffee, which was lovely. Mm. But it was that clear, like, I'm not in a good headspace. This is what I'm going to do about it. Then it will be okay. Yeah. And we didn't really talk about it, but I think it's that, I guess, to be vulnerable and kind of go, this is how I'm yeah. feeling. This is what I'm going to do about it and to show it and not hide it yeah. away. Yeah. Know, it's, um, yeah, modeling, I think, is such yeah. an important thing. Vulner- I mean, for me, as I said, vulnerability, I mean, I've got a couple of, um, I've got a couple of examples in my mind, but one, um, I was doing an, a, a training program and I was modeling with the horse, I was doing um, a demonstration with the horse of how it would flow. And the initial part was to do what I described earlier about um, creating the mutual respect between me and the horse. But the second part was in order to get the horse to come with me. Um, But the horse didn't come with me. And I could feel my frustration rising. And one of the most difficult things to do when you're doing equine facilitated learning is demonstrate at the same time as staying connected to yourself and connected to the horse, because you've got to stay with the audience describing. Now, whilst I was describing to them, I, I could feel myself getting into my ego, which, you know, how important I was at doing this amazing thing to show this, these clients. So the horse completely disconnected from me and didn't come with me and so when I realized when I checked in with myself and realized I just burst out laughing and said well here here you go this is a really good example so I I then was about to leave the arena and say this is basically what not to do and as I did the horse then started following me because as I had then completely let go of my ego and this is how you do this thing the horse then reconnected with me when I was back in my authentic self again and uh, and to me that was a real example from then on it's like okay you have to walk your talk because if not the horses will find you out (laughs) (laughs) yeah but and and then I guess like the, the bit of vulnerable and naming it recognizing in yourself what happened but also naming it and not kind of going like I've got well they loved it yeah Yeah. they loved it because immediately that made them feel completely relaxed about going in because 
you know, the person who's supposed to know what they're doing is already, <laughs> you know, made a mistake in inverted commas. But it yeah. wasn't that. It was the person who, as like you've described with your teaching, the person who's the teacher has already shown they're vulnerable, they're human, they make mistakes. And I think that's what it's really helpful because we grow up in an environment often. I mean, even with social media, you know, you have to look perfect and everything, your your backdrop behind you has to look perfect. You're, and one of the things that I absolutely loved when we first went online is the fact you could see in people's houses and you saw people for who they really were rather than what they, and I felt totally connected to people because you you met the the real person rather than the person that they, you know, maybe projected. Now, I'm not going to say that that isn't important because I think there's an element of that is important for professionalism, but I think it's about being in harmony with that, really. Absolutely. Rosie, do you have a, a final thought? I mean, I could keep chatting about this all <laughs> night, but... <laughs> <laughs> but we, yeah we'd be here all night do you have a final thought on um, emotional well-being or your groups or working with horses or anything you'd like to share with us oh gosh I mean as you say there's just yeah there are so many different um there's so many different angles I think if I start another one Hannah we'll be talking for another <laughs> quarter of an hour 20 minutes so I think the you know it's just for for people to be curious I mean it's not just horses that's one of the questions I get asked so maybe I'll address that one um is it only horses and of course it's not you know all our animals all mammals are sentient beings we're affected by each other the the reason that horses are so good at this particular work is that even though they have been trained they still stay connected to the outside world so even though my horses um, might be trained to step back when I ask them, you know, and be respectful so that they're not going to run me over, if they, um, if we're out in the field and the postman comes down the drive, they might look up and see the postman's coming down the drive. So they are still connected to the, to the outside world. Now, quite often what that does is make us realise that we had totally not noticed we were so absorbed in what we were doing we didn't even notice that the postman came down the drive so they do teach us to be much more aware of our sort of surroundings and not get totally absorbed in in things dogs of course have a great connection with humans but they might be um trained to do things for food and then maybe do that in you know so so Yeah. yeah i think it's it could work with all animals but it's just horses that yeah have been found to be really helpful yeah yeah because my my dog is very good at enforcing his boundaries he's very clear about when he's had enough he absolutely has been trained for food he's obsessed and he does not notice the postman yeah like, care <laughs> if he's asleep or if there's food he does not care so he's probably not, <laughs> not the best um mm. I mean, some you know, and all horses are different. So I wouldn't. I mean, I I have one horse at home who's very um, reactive or or much more alert than the other. And a few months ago, they were both standing by the hedge, and the one who's less reactive suddenly rushed four strides forwards, whilst the horse who is more reactive normally 
um, didn't move. Mm. And this is how equine facilitated learning can work because I stood there and asked myself the question I would have asked my client. Okay, so what are you going to take away from that experience? And what I took away from that experience that day was not to label, you know, not to label my horses. So not to say that this horse always does this or this horse always does that, which is a really easy thing to do. Because actually what I learned that day was in this particular situation, for whatever reason, it was the, it was the other way around yeah. not to assume that's what I was trying to think of yeah not to make yeah. assumptions yes and I used to do that yeah. well I still do yeah. but that was one of the you know one of my <laughs> big things was to make assumptions and you know not to be curious because I was resistant to vulnerability I had a little voice that wanted to pretend that I knew what was going on whereas now I'm able to feel vulnerability I'm much more able to be curious and not not to know and that's one of your gifts. I think we talked to that before we started. So you are naturally very curious. And that is mm. one of the traits of authenticity is, cur- is yeah. curiosity. It's funny. I've just done um, recently a values exercise of kind of tuning in. And I've talked about this uh, recently on the show about what my values are. And I'd had a bit of a shift. So my number one value is kindness. Joy is one of my values. And one of my set questions, which we'll get to in a moment, but curiosity is one of my other big ones. Yeah. And spinner shift, you know, because for a while it was like intelligence or knowledge or wisdom was quite important. And I was like, actually, it's curiosity. It's that kind of wanting to understand or to kind of learn about things. And, you know, and then my other one, which I think actually fits the others, is like flexibility, being able to kind of adapt, which mm. actually, if you're being kind, if you're being curious, I think kind of goes together but um yeah well I talk a lot about authenticity so congruency is acting on the outside the same as you're feeling on the inside authenticity is much bigger but we um my belief is that we are born authentic so we're born curious we're born flexible those are traits of authenticity however right from the moment we're born we're conditioned into doing things to please first our parents our primary caregivers so we then grow this set of beliefs and behaviors that we believe are true so we don't know any different because we believe they're true and so part of the journey that I help people to take is to start questioning some of those to go back to reconnecting with their childlike self their curious self um because that is where you can expand you know is where you can expand and grow so don't don't ever lose that quality Hannah. it's a huge quality i've just refound it Mm -hmm. yeah and and joy as well i think that's that kind of tapping into that and and coming back to that which was only a couple of years ago that i was like oh joy that's quite (laughs) that's quite important because that i'd lost as, as well and i think that's quite a childlike thing as well to find joy and wonder in in the things around you and I'm going to ask you my first set question now because it's related because otherwise we'll just carry on kind of and we'll never get to them and that's with joy what brings you joy in your life what brings me joy oh so many things bring me joy but it's a question that I you know I've learned to ask myself 
and to be really authentic about my answer. So one of the things that brings me joy is living in the countryside and I'm blessed to live in the countryside. Having animals brings me joy, my horses and my little Jack Russell dog. Having loving relationships brings me joy. And, but also um, nature hugely brings me joy, but reading brings me joy. And yet that's um, one of the ones that I've reclaimed because I didn't used to have a good feeling around being allowed to read. So that, that's one that's brought me joy. The two, the one that I feel disconnected from now, so I'm focusing on the ones I've mentioned, is travel. So travel ring really brings me joy. And that's the one that I've um, been missing in the last year. Absolutely. So then my, my next question, this is another one of my buzzwords, a couple, is what makes life meaningful for you? What makes life meaningful? Oh, that's another really good question. Um, it's actually <laughs> part of what I what I cover in my coaching program. And I did a really amazing um, exercise on my coaching training years ago, which I I use now to help my clients connect with what gives their, li- their life purpose and meaning. And it really takes you back to think about times in your life when you were absolutely in the zone, you know, when you just loved what you were doing. And so what brings my life meaning, I can sum up by saying the two words, inspiring fulfillment. So when I am... when I'm helping people to have those light bulb moments. So when somebody's in a coaching session or with the horses and they go, oh, that's what I do. But I do it. I know that I do it, whether I'm in the queue at Tesco's, whether I'm chatting to a friend, whether I'm talking to you now, I can't help myself. So I think what gives us our lives meaning is part of who we are. It's an innate thing. Um, And that has also been minimized. So I've had to really search for those ways because I haven't been able to do the workshops with horses in the last um, six months. I've had to really talk to lots of people in the queue at Tesco's. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I guess at the moment you get get some funny looks for that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So um, I know you talk about emotional uh, well-being a lot. And so we talk about mental wellness and mental well-being on the podcast. And I love to ask people two questions around this. And the first is, what does mental wellness mean to you? Um, well, I think I'll answer that like we sort of said in the intro. For me, it can't really be separated. So for me, mental well-being is is the whole part of well-being. So if we have an emotional experience it might impact our thoughts if we have a thought it might impact our emotions and so um, if we do something joyful it will impact our mindset and also the way we feel Um, and if we have a physical um, if we hurt ourselves physically or something happens to us on a physical level it'll affect our mental and emotional well-being so yeah mental well-being on its own would be the fact that my you know my mind and 
is connected fluidly with the other three rather than it being something on its yeah. own really yeah so kind of holistic connection between all parts of yourself yeah and the thing is we we have to not we have to but um we have specialists like we have a gp that looks at our the whole of us and then we have a dentist then we have a chiropractor then we have a psychologist and that's because those people have studied for years in that particular area so in mental well-being there will be specialists who really support people in that area yeah absolutely <laughs> um <laughs> yeah but for me when I work with um, my clients I I make sure that if I was working with an emotional well-being they might also get the support from a psychotherapist for their mental well-being because and they also might do something that brings them joy to support their spiritual well-being and they also might do exercise to support so I know which part I do but I know that what I would encourage my clients to do mm. is to look at themselves as a whole yeah 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 awesome and so then my follow-up then is is usually how you look after your your own mental wellness um but I guess change it slightly so to, how do you look after the whole and kind of keep the whole kind of working well what do you do mm. okay that's a really good um a really good question so for um I use mindfulness meditation um, but I also use my body scan. So I would use them interchangeably. So I would start the morning with a mindfulness meditation. And so that's just the noticing, like you were talking about earlier. And, but if my body sensation doesn't, didn't shift, then I would go into that sensation and ask what information it has for me so that I'm able then to, you know, to flow. And it might be as simple as don't forget to contact Hannah about your podcast this evening. And then my body goes, oh, yes, that was that. Um, from an emotional perspective, then I would um, really notice my emotions and use them as information like I shared earlier in the, in the podcast. Mm. For my joy, my spiritual well-being, I would make sure that I have time outside. I have time with the horses and that sort of links with my physical well-being because by the time I've pushed the wheelbarrow around the field <laughs> and mucked out two stables in the morning. Um, however, I also um, might, I, I, I'm an advocate of the Alexander Technique and so I might to use the Alexander Technique or yoga and, and yoga actually integrates the four, all four. So I do choose different things, which, yeah, worked all together, but support me holistically. Awesome. So then my, my next question, uh, one of the other things we talk about, because we're, I guess, you know, um, in, the, in the mentally space <laughs> more than any other space, mm -hmm. is um, how would you describe your own mindset? Well, my mindset today is in a really good place. Um, my mindset last week was in a really poor place. Um, so I would say it, it really varies from day to day. Um, last Wednesday, I went down a complete rabbit hole. I can't remember how it started, but my, my, the voices in my head then took me down into a spiral. Mm. Um, so I first of all became aware of that and then I realized where I was going with that um, and it did take a couple of days 
And then, as I said to you um, before the call, I listened to one of your podcasts and just listening to that podcast and that really purposeful and meaningful conversation, I felt really good again by the end of that. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, if you have to say, I've always thought of myself as um, a sort of a, a cheerful, sort of positive person, but I think that even so, you can have moments where that mindset can be impacted by by life. Mm. Yeah. So to me, it's what I teach my riders is it's not about sitting up straight on a moving horse. It's about coming back to center. And I think it's exactly the same with the mindset. It's not about staying in a positive mindset. I think you can cause a, a lot of um, anxiety if you try and stay in a positive mindset. To me, it's if you notice yourself moving out of um, a calm, positive mindset, how can I come back to center? Yeah, I love that. I, yeah, I, I kind of talk about the idea of being okay, which to me is that kind of center not trying to stay in the really like everything's amazing all the time and not staying just coming back to okay which is my word for that kind of calm yeah. center so I absolutely um, yeah. agree with that um this next question is my favorite I think because of my curious nature uh, do you have a top one to three tips that you'd like to leave us with of things that could have a massive impact in our lives the first one is to take time just to stop and notice what's going on in your body. Even if your head is saying, I haven't got time to stop and um, either have a soft focus or close your eyes and just notice your body sensations and you'll be surprised. And you might notice your body feels really calm. You might notice your breathing is quicker than normal. You might notice you've got a tightness in your shoulder um, and then ask that sensation what information it has for you. So the tight shoulder might say, I'm carrying too much. The calm um, sensation might say, okay, I'm in a really good place. And the quickened breathing might say, I'm not very fit. I've just not walked up that hill and I'm not very fit. You know, it's, it's not, um, it's just being aware. The second um, one, these are my, you know, my three things. The second one is to, use your inf emotions as information so allow yourself to feel your emotion and just again ask that emotion what information it has for you and take any appropriate action that you might need to and the third one is to be present and that's the one that's most linked to the mental well-being so rather than being in all of those stories that you have is just to be present in the moment and for me, being in nature, just being outside helps me get out of my, my thoughts. And that's when you connect mm. to your intuition. So for me, if you have a question, you know, what do I do next? Or what do I really want to eat? Or, you know, what do I want? Which car do I want to choose? Is to go out and just give yourself some time where you let yourself completely let go. And then that's when the ideas, that's when the ideas come. Is that kind of classic? I sometimes I'm thinking about something and then I'll just be like walking the dog or in the shower or something. And something will just be like, whoo, 
here I am. <laughs> the shower <laughs> is the, the favourite one. I think the shower is the favourite yeah. one. I nearly put that down. Well, I did. Um, I said, um, <laughs> thought about that earlier. Well, the bath. But my trainer, uh, um, yeah. the lady I did my training with, in, in America, stables are call, called barns. So she says mm. that she often gets her intuition in the bath or the barn. <laughs> So, you know, uh. <laughs> in the bath or with the horses at the barn. Yeah, when you just sort of relax and let go. Yeah, absolutely. So my, uh, my next question, this is a new bonus question. Again, it's because I'm curious. Um, and so I've started sort of talking occasionally about some of the books that I'm reading or things that I've seen that are really um, inspiring to me. And I wonder if you've got a book or a TED talk or something that has really been impactful for you that you want to share with us. Oh, gosh. There are so many books. <laughs> uh, in fact, yes, I'm constantly being. Um, which one springs to mind? Um, okay, so there's loads and loads of books, and I'm always recommending them <laughs> on my newsletter list. But mm. the one that springs, the one that's coming to mind right now, is one that's called "The Body Keeps the Score" by yes. Bessel van der Kolk. And that I think is really important because there's a lot of emphasis on in mental well-being on clearing our mind. And in my experience through my own personal journey with um, the work that I've been through and healing myself, all of my experiences were actually lodged as memories in my body. And so it was only through releasing the emotional um, trauma that I can I completely healed and in that book it really helps you understand that I listened to that recently have you read it the oh, you've listened to it. it's one I yeah so I I was about to say I talked about that recently but this it will have been a little while ago when this <laughs> when this episode mm. comes out but it's one that I mentioned on here because I read it and yeah I, it was such a good read um you know yeah I think and absolutely for for the work I do and you know supporting people who've maybe been through traumatic experiences or for myself that it, yeah the one that I've just finished is called um I don't know if you've heard of this one it's speak your truth by Fern Cotton I've heard of it I've not not read no it. well um and that's another really good one and it it really aligns with what we've been talking about actually because she at December 2019 she had um her voice wasn't very good so she went to the to the GP and was sent for an x-ray and she had um, an abscess on her vocal cords and she's someone who's been a presenter and her voice is really important and as you go through the book you realize that she's also done a lot of um, work in the spiritual field so she had a belief that there was something about her voice and her not honoring her truth and speaking her truth that had maybe finally um, influenced her body through um, a physical thing. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of lockdown last year, she started writing this book and she goes back through her whole life sharing experiences of times in her early career when she might not have spoken up and said what actually was really true for her. Um, and it's completely inspiring. And I read it because I saw her on the one show. And when she was interviewed, she came across completely authentic. 
and I really connected. So that's why I went to read her book. And then right at the very end, um, you know, she shares what it, what it, what she experiences when she goes back for the for the for the test, which I won't share. What happens just in case somebody don't spoil yeah. the book. But it was again the whole holistic approach um, mm. to authenticity. Yeah, no, I'll definitely check it out. And it's funny, I'm just noticing, <laughs> I'll say this, even though it's a bit, um, you know, I, I love Fern Cotton, I love her podcast. Um, but I think recently, and I saw it come out and I was a bit like bristled a little bit. And what it is, it's because I'm jealous of Fern Cotton because I just want to be her or kind of, <laughs> you know. So that's what it is. It's not, you know, so it's interesting. I'm just noticing that, like, I love her message, what she's talking about. And she is really authentic. And it's just that I. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to gonna, like I'm just, just gonna like add this then. because in the emotional okay. message chart that I teach, Hannah, um, okay. I would I would suggest that um, it's more likely envy. So in the emotional message mm. chart, envy is an emotion that we feel when we see a talent in others that mm. we would like to bring forward. Yes. Now it's a talent that you already possess. So it's mm. not something that you didn't have. So the question of the, in the chart is what talent okay. or what, what aspect of her work is it that you would really like to bring forward in yourself? Mm. That's a good question. You don't need to answer it now, but. Yeah, yes. something to ponder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you yeah, don't really do that, what happens, the intensification is resentment, rivalry, or hero worship. So you either, you know, you go into, yeah. oh, it's all right for them, or it's like, oh, they're so amazing, I'll never be like them. So, yeah. you know, when people share, I couldn't help it, because when people share envy, I love it, because that's another time when you can really help that person bring a quality forward that they would like to expand upon. Yeah, awesome. See, look, I'm getting some bonus coaching at the same time well, as I'm going to be. Yeah, and jealousy is yeah. another story. That's, you know, that's another story. But definitely, I would say that the way that you yeah. described that, that little, and, and yeah. also envy gets bad press, which is such a shame because it is a feeling that we don't like to feel and yet if we can honor it and go okay what what is it about that person that I would really like to 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 yeah. develop yeah, it, yeah I guess it, it's because it's got that negative connotation hasn't it of, of yeah. feeling but actually like you said it's actually telling you something about yourself about yeah. maybe how you want your life to be or, or what what is it as you said yeah. about them yeah that you want for yourself which yeah. will then lead to other actions of, well, how do I? Yeah. yeah. It's mm. often underneath. It's for me, it's rarely mm. the, you know, the big car or the big house. It's more about um, what is it that, you know, what qualities that they have that enabled that, you know, what is it about mm. presenting? It's really digging in underneath. That's the valuable bit. Yeah. And I'm sure your curious nature will... <laughs> yeah it's definitely something i'm gonna i'm gonna be pondering on and uh, so my final question for you rosie is where people can connect with you if they want to find out more about your workshops or working with you where can they find you oh okay thank you hannah well my website is www.rosiewithy.co.uk 
and I'm on Instagram um, and I'm Rosie with a coach on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. I have a Facebook page, which is Rosie with the coaching. But if you awesome. if you I'm just Google Rosie with you know, some of those options will come <laughs> up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And absolutely, when we share the episode, we'll link you in the episode post, which reminds me I've got to do today's one. Um, And we will also put your links in the show notes so people can find you from there as well. Thank you so much, Hannah. It's been such a pleasure being here. Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining me. I've loved speaking with you. We've tried to kind of rein it in. We've definitely gone over time. Um, But I've I've really loved... um, yeah, the, the conversation and hopefully you know you said you had this butterfly at the beginning but hopefully you've enjoyed it and it's not been oh, stressful in any way yeah no 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 not at all thank you very much so thanks again to rosie for joining me and yeah i really really enjoyed this conversation and as we said we could have gone on uh, talking about this up all night and there are a couple of things that I I wanted to kind of touch on at the end um just as that I was reflecting back on as I was as I was editing and listening through um and I really like that idea of specialists because actually a lot of people come on the show and they'll say when I ask them what mental well-being means to them they'll say well it's not just the mind bit um we talk a lot about the mind body connection and all of that the spiritual Uh, physical and actually with the guests we have on we're not just strictly speaking in the mental space we have a a wide variety sometimes the more spiritual uh, the more nutritional and kind of exercise focused because absolutely I agree that well-being is the, the kind of holistic whole and there are all those elements and actually even when we talk about mind the mind body connection is so strong that actually we can't separate them but for me personally I guess this is the area that I'm drawn to in that kind of specialist capacity. And I'm not saying I am the kind of foremost expert <laughs> mental well-being in the world or whatever, um, but it's definitely the area I've kind of specialised in and that actually a lot of my experience has been in. So, um, yeah, I really liked that idea. And, you know, I know in conversations yet to come, there uh, that, that idea comes up several times of... We can't split into these different elements. It's all so connected. Absolutely, I 100% agree with that. We talked about the the kind of energy that we emanate and calm. And it's really funny because I I mentioned about uh, when I was teaching and I had a a situation recently working with a young person who um, was quite upset, quite agitated and and sometimes it can be difficult for us to be around that energy because we might feel uncomfortable or we might not be grounded and then we can pick up on that energy. But actually there's something really magical uh, if you've experienced this uh, in any capacity where if you can stay connected and stay grounded and stay calm, the other person kind of settles down to that as well. And I can't remember who I had this conversation with on the podcast about resonance, that idea, you know, if you you pluck a guitar string, the other strings in the room will start to reverberate at the same frequency, that it kind of spreads those kind of waves. And I think there's something in that, that if we are putting out that calm energy, other people kind of in our orbit, if you like, will pick up on that and kind of settle to the same frequency. 
Um, and it's something, I mean, I'm sure you could get really into the, the kind of esoteric vibrations, frequencies, etc. Or just from observable experience of being with someone when one person's very calm, one person's very agitated and see how that dynamic can kind of play out. So I was thinking about that just because it's something that, that happened recently. And the, <laughs> the last one about envy and it's, whew, it's something I feel on the, on the podcast as I've settled into it. And, and I really appreciated Rosie saying she'd listened back to the <laughs> early episodes and uh, felt the authenticity um, of that. And, and I try to be authentic and, and I guess sometimes maybe it, it does feel quite vulnerable to share and to be so open, but I guess in the moment, I'm just in the moment with that one person or like I am now just talking to myself. <laughs> so it doesn't feel as scary. And I guess it's not fear in uh, the way that Rosie explained it. It's not danger. Uh, it's just being vulnerable and um, weirdly opening up myself to one of my my biggest, um, I would say fear, but, but maybe not if I think about Rosie's definition, but um, that kind of concern about what other people think of me and being judged and that kind of thing which is one of my big kind of recurring themes and patterns myself anyway so it's quite funny <laughs> I think that I've, on the podcast I'm quite open and, and vulnerable but I think that's really powerful and I guess that's my rationale that if it helps someone in some way at some point then it's it's kind of worth it but yeah so <laughs> sharing my envy because it is an emotion that I think we don't like to own because of those negative connotations. And actually, I was listening to a philosophy podcast this morning, funnily enough, which talked about envy and uh, Nietzsche, I believe, who said envy is a gift uh, because it, it kind of shows you the areas to focus on, the areas to develop, which is kind of, you know, what, what Rosie was saying. And I guess... I mean, there are so many things I think to admire about about someone like Fern Cotton or Brené Brown or these kind of figures. And I think maybe it is about speaking your truth. Maybe it is about uh, how open they are or their platform and what they're sharing. Maybe it's the success, I guess, in one definition of um, the reach of their message. Maybe there's something around that. I'm sure there's loads <laughs> to dive into, but um, I guess it's as I said, I love uh, Fern Cotton's podcasts and, and books and stuff. Maybe it's a sign that I should write a book. I don't know. If you, if you think I should, let me know. I'm toying with the idea, actually, of, of something around mental well-being and kind of collecting together a lot of stuff from um, some of the ideas that guests share and kind of common themes and, and that kind of thing. So if you think that sounds like a great idea, let me know and I'll, <laughs> I'll maybe get on that. There's a saying, isn't there, that everyone has a book in them, but we will we will see uh, in future. But um, yeah, they're just some of my thoughts. I mean, this was such a fun conversation to have with Rosie in the moment, and and also to listen back to. And I really hope that you have that you've taken something from it. I guess for me, it is it's two things. It's the really tuning into my body and what that is telling me, and then my emotions and <laughs> what that's telling me and. I think it's a big thing around generally self-awareness which I think is so important and you know I think sometimes in the mental space which I guess we're in we can get really into 
being aware of our thoughts and what are they telling us and how we're reacting and we can maybe neglect those other areas of what we're feeling and experiencing in our body what emotions are coming up that we are maybe trying to stuff back down or rationalize away which is one of my (laughs) go-tos I guess it's a coming back to that holistic idea of well-being it's holistically kind of tuning in uh, to yourself and and what that's telling you so that is going to be my big takeaway of working on doing that I haven't (laughs) haven't quite figured out how to do all of that but that's um, what I'm going to be thinking about so as I said massive massive thank you to Rosie again Uh, if you have enjoyed the show then please do rate review and share it helps us to reach more people and and kind of share the message and and the awesome content that our guests come on and share with us. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you for joining us, for giving us your time. Uh, This this episode's, I think, run slightly longer than uh, some have recently, but hopefully you'll agree, completely worth it. Um, But that is everything for today. Uh, I'll be back on Monday with Sarah Matiasik, who is joining us and again all kinds of stuff we're talking about we go into a weird detour into um bodybuilding and marathon running uh, which was not <laughs> was not the topic of the podcast but i guess that's one of my favorite things about um just being present and in that conversation that i always say to guests before we start recording that my mind goes where it goes and we <laughs> we we go with it and usually um that leads to a really awesome conversation but yes hopefully we will uh, speak again on Monday. Uh, Until then, as always, take care of yourself, be kind to yourself, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.